Hello and welcome to The Forge. My name is James and this is the place where I teach verse by verse through the Bible. I am a retired U.S. Air Force Master Sergeant who went on to serve the Lord's Church as an assistant pastor, worship leader, and youth pastor. During my time in these roles, I finished seminary and I hold a Master of Arts in Biblical Studies and a Master of Divinity. I've been involved in ministry in some form for over 25 years, and it is my hope that this podcast will be a blessing to you as I teach from God's Word, the Bible. Forge exists to serve those whom the Holy Spirit is calling into a relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. This is done through biblical teaching so that individuals understand God's forgiveness, live in its reality, and overcome the wounds caused by bondage to sin. I will always hold to the truth found in scriptures, and a summary of my doctrinal statement is worded perfectly in the five solas of the Reformation. I believe Christians experience gratefulness and renewed purpose as they are encouraged by the words of life, which spring from the Bible. I pray that this podcast plays a role in God's ongoing work in your life. Don't forget to look in the show notes for links to the podcast website where you can leave a donation or leave a voice message with questions. I will be collecting questions for a future Q&A podcast. Also, please leave a review on whatever platform you are using. That and telling others about this podcast are the two biggest things you can do for me. Now grab your Bible and get ready for a verse-by-verse study. May God bless the reading and the hearing of His Word. Can you believe it? We're almost done with the book of Genesis. We are now in chapter 48 in this episode, and there's only 50 chapters in this great book. And as we get into this chapter, we're going to notice that there's a character change, not only in Joseph, but in all of our main players. So God has truly been working in the hearts and lives of his covenant people. And that's what we're going to see here in Genesis 48. So if you have not done so already, pick up your Bible and turn to Genesis chapter 48. Let's begin the word of God. Now it came to pass after these things that Joseph was told, indeed, your father is sick. And he took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. And Jacob was told, look, your son Joseph is coming to you. And Israel strengthened himself and sat up on the bed. Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me and said to me, Behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you, and I will make of you a multitude of people and give this land to your descendants after you as an everlasting possession. Now your two sons, Ephraim, And Manasseh, who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt, are mine. 
As Reuben and Simeon, they shall be mine. Your offspring, whom you beget after them, shall be yours. They will be called by the name of their brothers in their inheritance. But as for me, when I came from Padan, Rachel died beside me in the land of Canaan on the way, when there was but a little distance to go to Ephrath. And I buried there, buried her there on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. Then Israel saw Joseph's sons and said, Who are these? Joseph said to his father, These are my sons whom God has given me in this place. And he said, Bring them to me, and I will bless them. Now the eyes of Israel were dim with age, so that he could not see. Then Joseph brought them near to him, and he kissed them and embraced them. And Israel said to Joseph, I had not thought to see your face, but in fact, God has also shown me your offspring. So Joseph brought them from beside his knees, and he bowed down with his face to the earth. And Joseph took them both, Ephraim with his right hand toward Israel's left, and Manasseh with his left hand toward Israel's right hand, and brought them near to him. Then Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on Ephraim's head, who was the younger, and his left hand on Manasseh's head, guiding his hands knowingly, for Manasseh was the firstborn. And he blessed Joseph and said, God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has fed me all my life long to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the lads. Let my name be upon them and the name of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. Now when Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand on the head of Ephraim, it displeased him. So he took hold of his father's hand to remove it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. And Joseph said to his father, Not so, my father, for this one is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He also shall become a people, and he also shall be truly great. But truly this younger brother shall be greater than he, and his descendants shall become a multitude of nations. So he blessed them that day, saying, By you Israel will bless, saying, May God make you as Ephraim and Manasseh. And thus he set Ephraim before Manasseh. Then Israel said to Joseph, Behold, I am dying, but God will be with you and bring you back to the land of your fathers. Moreover, I have given to you one portion above your brothers, which I took from the hand of the Amorite with my sword and my bow. I live in a fairly remote area of the United States. It is fairly common for me to see old barns and houses. And some of these structures are probably between 80 to 120 years old. I have seen the effects of time on these old structures. There are holes in the roof and walls. Windows and doors are missing. And when that happens to a building, light shines into areas that were once sheltered from the outside. The house still stands, but it is weak. Age has brought in the light.
Now, as we consider the age of Israel at this point of the story, I would suggest that we think about our body as a temporary housing for our soul, as light beams through the cracks and the walls and the roof and the doors and the windows of an old building. So it is with our bodies. Those wrinkles in our skin show more than the passage of time. They show a wisdom which only comes with age. So it was with Israel. He was at this point of his life beginning to see by the light that can only come with age. And though he knew his time in this realm was coming to an end, he could see through the eyes illuminated by faith that his offspring were destined for the land of Canaan. And this is why we read of him making Joseph promise, if you will remember, a double oath that his bones would return to Canaan when the covenant people took the land. So, why do I believe that Israel was looking forward through the eyes of faith? Because of the way he blesses Joseph's sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. Hebrews chapter 11 records this single event in Israel's life as what characterizes him as a man of faith. And what we see here is typical of so many reversals or things which went against the accepted norm of the younger Jacob's life. This act of blessing the sons just before death It is something which we've already seen in other patriarchs as we have traveled through the book of Genesis. Joseph is told of his father's illness, and Joseph appears to drop all his government duties, and he runs to see Israel one last time. Once again, in this book of firsts, we find the very first mention of illness, or as it states in the New King James Version, it says, Indeed, your father is sick. Imagine the scene and the determination of Israel as he uses all his strength to rise up in bed. And again, this is that first place in all of Scripture where we have sickness being mentioned. So again, I would refer you to Hebrews chapter 11 where this scene is actually described as an act of worship where he raises himself up on the bed. In other words, imagine this old man nearing the end, mustering his strength to push himself up so he can sit up in the bed and receive Joseph as a guest. So why does the Bible call this an act of worship? Well, it's because dear friends, Israel has learned to base everything in the future upon the unfailing word of the living God. And when you do that with your life, it is indeed worship, for you are entrusting God with everything. And so this is where we find the old Jacob now, now called Israel. This is where we find him, finally realizing that the unfailing word of the living God is the one that can be trusted for everything. 
Chapter 48 is the account of Israel's blessing upon Joseph and Joseph's two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. And R.C. Sproul puts it this way, quote, Joseph received the rights of the firstborn and the double portion through Jacob's adoption and elevation of his two sons to the status of founding father among Israel's 12 tribes, end quote. Now, we should remember in the very beginning, Jacob only wanted one wife, and that was Rachel. He got Leah through deception of Laban, and he had children with her and her uh, maid at Leah's request. However, if Rachel would have been the one and only, Joseph would have been the firstborn, and thus he would have been entitled to the birthright. And this has been the foundation for all the favoritism that Jacob showed to Joseph. And it gives us a little more background and we can see how this attitude, among other things, contributed to Joseph's brothers, all sons of the other mem- uh, other women, it all contributed to their intense hatred for Joseph in the past. Thus, here at the end of his life, Israel adopts Ephraim and Manasseh. And this gives them equal standing with Joseph's brothers. And I do want to look at this adoption. It has three parts to it. First, Israel, and he's called Jacob in this section, so I should probably call him Jacob. Jacob recalls to Joseph how God had spoken and promised that he, God, would multiply Jacob. And it's significant because Jacob was claiming that he had the authority to adopt Joseph's sons as his own and that this authority came from God because it's based on God's promise. In other words, these grandsons were part of the promise. So Jacob adopts them and it's an adoption that's only going to last for a very short period of time but it is significant because of the inheritance that Jacob wishes for these two grandsons. So second in verses five through seven, Jacob makes it his intention uh, makes, I'm sorry, let me say that over again. Jacob makes his intention to adopt the boys extremely clear. He declares that just as Reuben and Simeon are his sons, Now Ephraim and Manasseh are his sons. And note that Reuben and Simeon are both bypassed at this time. They're completely bypassed. And that's what's significant about this. So the third part of the adoption process is found in the blessing and the prophecy which Jacob gives concerning Ephraim and Manasseh. And it's found in verses 15 through 17. And here again, we see the younger son, Ephraim, is preferred before the older son, Manasseh. And Ephraim becomes the dominant tribe in the future in the northern kingdom, according to 1 Kings chapter 12, verses 19 through 25. And we should also notice here in verse 6 that Jacob tells Joseph that any sons who come after these two will be Joseph's, but that these two are set aside for Jacob. Numbers 26, verses 28 through 37, 
and First Chronicles seven fourteen through twenty nine list children of Manasseh and Ephraim. Any sons who were born to Joseph after this adoption would be absorbed into these two tribes of the nation of Israel. And this is what is meant in verse 6 when Jacob states that those children will be called after the name of their brothers, Ephraim and Manasseh, in their inheritance. So any sons that Joseph may have had after Ephraim and Manasseh are to be absorbed into these two tribes. And where else have we seen God prefer the younger over the older? We saw it in Isaac instead of Ishmael, Jacob instead of Esau. Now we see Joseph (laughs) instead of Reuben. First Chronicles 5 gives us a little more detail about this mention of Reuben that we find here in Genesis. And just before it begins a list of genealogy, it says in verses 1 and 2, and this is what it says. Again, you can find this in First Chronicles chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. It says, Now the sons of Reuben, the firstborn of Israel, he was indeed the firstborn, but because he defiled his father's bed, his birthright was given to the sons of Joseph, the son of Israel, so that the genealogy is not listed according to birthright. Yet Judah prevailed over his brothers, and from him came a ruler, although the birthright was Joseph's. I just simply want to point this out to you because Reuben is known from the time he committed the act through the remainder of Scripture as the one who defiled his father's bed. And that's powerful to think about. So, before we move on, though, I want to point out a few more things about this adoption that Jacob does. When Jacob asks, who are these? He's talking now about Manasseh and Ephraim, and he says, who are these? We should note that he's not asking because he doesn't know who they are. Some scholars have suggested that this question functions similar to the question that we've heard in wedding ceremonies. You've heard it said, who gives this woman? And notice Joseph's response in verse 9. He says, they are my sons whom God has given me in this place. And that has a similar ring to it when you think about the response to the question at a wedding ceremony when they, um, when the father will say, her mother and I do. Who gives this woman? Her mother and I do. It's as if Jacob is kind of following a ceremonial practice here. He's saying, whose are these? And Joseph is saying, they're mine. And so when Jacob kissed and embraced the boys, it was sort of a ceremonial process that makes the adoption official. And notice Joseph bows to the ground before his father. And what a difference in character we see in Joseph now. The now 56-year-old Joseph, viceroy of all Egypt, second only to Pharaoh, he bows to the earth before the one patriarch who mediated God's promises and blessing. And with that, the adoption is complete. 
And this study would not be complete. Speaking of being complete, this study would not be complete without pointing out once again, the mention of Rachel's grave in Ephrath. Ephrath is Bethlehem. It's the same city, same location. And it may even notate this in your Bible if it's not actually in the text itself like it is in mine. So you will remember from our previous episode why this is important when it comes to Jesus and the events around his life as prophesied. Remember, Jeremiah prophesied concerning the coming Messiah. Messiah, He says, thus says the Lord, a voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation and bitter weeping, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted for her children because they are no more. And when we talked about how this was fulfilled, as we find in Matthew chapter 2, verses 16 through 18, this is what it says there. Then Herod, when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men, and you may remember we went into that explanation, but it goes on, it says, he was exceedingly angry and he sent forth and put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem and in all its districts from two years old and under, according to the time which he had determined from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, a voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation, weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted because they are no more. So coming back to Genesis 48, in verses 15 through 16, some have seen a Trinitarian prayer. And I have to say that I agree. And let me explain. In verse 15, Jacob says, God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked. And this phrase, Jacob makes reference to his own earthly fathers, but he claims their God to be his God. And some see this first part of the blessing as pointing to God the Father because of the obvious father references. Next, Jacob states, this is the second part, he says, the God who has fed me all my life long to this day. And here we see the comforter, the God who has fed me all my life up until this day. And what does the comforter do? Well, it's God, the Holy Spirit. He is the one who comes alongside us and walks with us day to day as we live our life on a daily basis. He's the one keeping us and sealing us, nourishing us and watching over us, convicting us, drawing us ever closer to himself. And then, of course, we have the mention of the angel who redeemed me from all evil. And in your Bible, you may even find that the word angel is capitalized. And how can we forget the angel with whom Jacob wrestled? We've talked about the many theophanies we've seen throughout this study. And this is clearly a reference to God in the flesh which is the eternal son, the one who does indeed redeem his people from evil. So this chapter shows us Israel, or you could think of it as old man Jacob, finally resting in the promises of God. Finally, there is complete surrender. And only then do we see the man of faith in a position to take full charge of his death and all the affairs surrounding it. Israel, Israel's faith is what shines through here. 
It's like that light in the darkness. It's like that sunlight through a cracked roof. We see worship here of the truest kind, and that is the kind of complete surrender with total faith and the God of promise. So when you worship, dear Christian, when you worship God, what does it look like? And I'm not talking about songs that we sing or prayers that we pray. I'm not talking about corporate gathering at church where the people of God get together on any given Sunday, where we learn and we are exhorted to righteous living. I'm talking about surrender. I'm talking about the kind of faith that crosses hands and intentionally blesses what others would say is the wrong one. I'm talking about worship that says, God, I take you at your word. I believe you by faith. Those things that I cannot see, Lord, I know that you have called them to be. And there's so much more in this chapter, and I have truly only scratched the surface. And I pray that my few humble comments here will stir you to go study and dig it out for yourself. Listeners, we only have two chapters to go, and we will be finished with the book of Genesis. So until the next time, may God bless you. Amen. listening to the forge podcast and don't forget to leave a review with comments let me hear from you leave a voice message through the link i hope and pray that you find ways to apply the truths of god's word in daily living remember dear christian you are forgiven it is by grace that you've been saved through faith may you grow in christ in the study of the bible and truly overcome wounds that were caused by sinful choices and actions of the past. I also pray that you are always reforming, seeking to glorify God in all that you say and do. Remember to be grateful to God for what he is working out, not only in you, but in all his creation as well. And lastly, be encouraged, encouraged to serve God and others as you grow in him.